You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you about my Declutter Your Motherhood audio course, which helps overwhelmed mothers to simplify their mom life so they have more room for joy. This is a course that was designed for busy moms, with all of the content being on a private podcast feed so you can listen on the go this summer while you're sitting at the pool watching your kids swim or driving in the car on the way to a family reunion or even just having 15 minutes of precious alone time while you get ready for the day in the morning. A mom named Elizabeth, who recently finished the course, submitted this testimonial. Declutter Your Motherhood is the perfect spring cleaning for your soul, easily accessible audio with simple but challenging accompanying worksheets to reevaluate and refresh your motherhood. This is a course I plan to return to annually as I grow and change with my family as a mother. 10 out of 10 would recommend Declutter Your Motherhood to a friend. To get started simplifying your mom life so you can feel more joy every day, Go to 3in30podcast.com slash declutter. That's 3in30podcast.com slash declutter. Welcome to 3in30, a podcast to help you feel more like yourself within your motherhood. Each 30-minute episode features three actionable takeaways to help you become a more self-assured mom, someone who knows yourself, honors your needs, and loves your people. Listen in to feel encouraged as we learn together how to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. I'm so glad you're here. If you've listened to my podcast for a while, you know that I'm a huge fan of therapy. Counseling has helped me change my perspectives about myself, the world, my experiences, and it's not an exaggeration to say that it has fundamentally changed who I am. And in today's Encore episode, you're going to hear me dive deep into some of my personal epiphanies that I've had while in counseling. It's my hope that you might relate to some of my story and gain some insight into yourself as well. This episode originally aired on my dear friend Monica Packer's podcast, which is called About Progress, in March 2018. I was the guest and Monica interviewed me about my experience growing up with a mother who battled breast cancer for 13 years and what that was like for me as a naturally very sensitive, emotional, worry-prone child, and how that affected me up into adulthood. As you may know, this summer I am re-airing some of my very favorite episodes of 3 and 30 that align with my three pillars of self-assured motherhood. And this episode dives deep into the first and foundational pillar, Know Yourself. I talk often in my nine-month-long self-assured motherhood program about the importance of studying your story. Or in other words, examining your childhood and the factors that impacted you while you were growing up to see how they might be showing up in your life today. This episode is a perfect example of what it looks like to study your story in order to know yourself better. And toward the end of the conversation, Monica and I give three takeaways about how you can dig into your past and heal from any lingering heartaches that you might have from your childhood, even if you had a really beautiful childhood like I did. Sometimes there's still just a whole lot of stuff that you need to figure out and examine. So we'll dive right into this interview. And again, this is an excerpt from the podcast About Progress with Monica Packer, where I was so privileged to be a guest. Here we go. We have been meaning to have you on my show for quite some time. Well before you even officially launched your podcast, we wanted you here to talk about what it's like to deal with trauma as a child, which you dealt with, and how to, as an adult, Not move on, because I don't think that's ever part of the equation here when you have a tragedy and some trauma in your life at a young age. 
but how to move forward. And so how about you actually start by telling us a little bit about what that was for you? What was in your childhood that was so difficult? So when I was six years old, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she was only 35, which is really young. And um, my sister was eight. I was six. And my little sister was three. And so my mom had these three little girls. She was a young mother and she got this diagnosis. And actually, my first memory of my entire life is my mom telling us that she had cancer. And I'm sure that I probably have um, I probably have other memories, but that that just stands out to me as my first memory because Mm -hmm. it was so huge. You know, like I just remember them my mom and dad sitting on the bed and my mom being in tears, which I wasn't really used to seeing and them telling us this news that she was very sick and that she was going to have to be in the hospital. And she actually had a bone marrow transplant shortly after that and was in the hospital for three months. Wow. So, so as these young, young girls, we were confronted with, um, you know, not having our mom there and really worrying for her. Yeah. Health and well-being. And she was amazing um, at, you know, really wanting us to feel safe and making sure that like she recorded all of our favorite storybooks for us on cassette tapes so that we could listen to those at night. But I just think that shows that she was actively thinking about what can I do for my girls to help Mm -hmm. them through this? So she was very sick and chemo. And I remember... um, you know, her throwing up and just, and it's so hard to watch as a young girl, your mom suffering like that, but it didn't just end there. So she went on to battle breast cancer for 13 years and she went in and out of remission over and over during that time. And then she passed away when I was 19. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of my childhood was spent worrying about my mom and watching my mom be sick. So Trauma, yes, but I also feel like in some ways I've never wanted to classify it as that because I had a really wonderful childhood. Like I had loving, wonderful parents, the best parents a kid could ever ask for. It was tough to see her so sick, but I do have so many beautiful memories too from my childhood. You know, Rachel, it seems like even though you're saying that you didn't have the sad, depressing childhood, it still shows that you were dealing with trauma. The fact that your first memory is of them telling you about the cancer. It's almost like this clock was reset in your psyche, you know, deep. And, you know, I think so many of our childhoods are like that, if not all. Obviously, all of us are affected by our childhood, but there are these deep-seated things that maybe they're not quote-unquote what people would think as trauma but they can be and in how they weigh on us so what do you think that was for you what was what was this thing that affected you deep down I mean you you did touch on that a little bit about just seeing her sick and worrying about her does it does extend um deeper into that or other things as well Yeah. And I think a lot of that didn't really surface for me until I was older. I was an intense perfectionist and um, I just always sort of attributed that to my personality, which I think is true, um, that I was born naturally 
to want to please, to want to obey and be good at things. And I'm naturally really sensitive and emotional, I think. So maybe I internalized things differently that were going on with my mom, like worried in different ways than even my sisters who were going through the same experience. But I grew up, you know, in my teen years, massive overachiever, top of my class, trying to do everything. And in college, I developed an eating disorder, um, really just striving, striving, striving for that perfection. And it was actually after I became a mother that things started to fall apart. Um, With the eating disorder, when my mom was dying is when it was really the worst. The summer, the summer that my mom was, we knew her diagnosis was terminal at that point. It was the summer after my freshman year of college. Uh Um, I was, I was her caregiver during the day. And, um, every morning I would get up early and I would just run. And at first that sounds like a healthy way to cope, you know, but it turned into like five miles wasn't enough, six, seven, eight, nine miles, you know, just really excessive. And it was me trying to run this pain away, you know, and, and starve this pain away. And like everything in my life felt out of control but that number on the scale I could control and you know I just getting thinner and thinner and thinner and then later when I went through infertility but for adopting my son I really went to the other extreme where I started binge eating Mm -hmm. and I would come home from these fertility appointments And I like was just searching for comfort somewhere, fulfillment somewhere. And I was just like, give me the brownies, a whole pan, you know, just like Mm -hmm. I have to try to fill this ache. But it's interesting that it was the same eating disorder, even though it manifested in dramatically different ways. It was Mm -hmm. always trying to trying to numb out this pain from my mom's passing or from Mm -hmm. this infertility. And um, then my son was born and we adopted him. And all of a sudden I was just like, I need serious help. I don't know if it was becoming a mother myself. It just brought up so many of my fears and insecurities. At that point, I finally went to counseling. I did not go into it thinking that this really had anything to do with my mother. Like I just thought I have these I have an eating disorder. I have to get this sorted out and we're going to we're going to address eating behaviors. And then I got into counseling and that's when the counselor really started digging and stuff started coming up and I realized, "Oh, this is much deeper than you know, just I think a lot of people think that they're issues start you hear people talk about perfectionism or even eating disorders and they say like it all started in high school or it all started in college and but really I think so often it started long before that I realized that once I started going to counseling wow so was that so when you first started realizing kind of peeling back these layers was that like taking off a scab I mean was it was it super painful I imagine but or was it one of those things where 
the more you uncovered, the more like aha moments and the more strength and growth that you had. What was that process like? Well, both for sure. You know, um, I feel like, yeah, definitely peeling off a scab, but also just like almost like clearing an infection. You like you have to get it out, you know, and it's not pleasant and you don't want like I didn't want to dig a lot of this stuff up. But once it's once it started coming up, I could heal, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I had a count. So I had several different counselors over the years, and I really feel like I've learned different things from each of them and taken really valuable things from each of them. But um, I had one counselor who was really um, like a straightforward kind of straight talking red personality, if you Uh know the the color code, kind of not what you would expect for a counselor. Like Uh you would expect someone who'd be all fuzzy and warm and she was not that way. And so in that initial intake appointment, she had me describe they they always have you describe your story and your background and everything. And so I described all this about my mom being sick and everything and blah, blah, you know, the whole story. And then <laughs> she said, oh, I know what your problem is. You have a savior complex. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? <laughs> like, yeah. it was just so. And she's like, you have a savior complex. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, what does that mean? And she said, you wanted to save your mother. You thought that if you were perfect enough, then, you know, maybe you could save her. And my initial response was, no way, you know, and also, how dare you? I was kind of just stung and hurt. And she said, you know, your mom was the victim and you were the one who you wanted to be the savior and and save her. And I was like, my mom was not a victim, which by the way, she wasn't. She never played that card. She yes. never, okay, so you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was really defensive. I'm like, no, you don't. She's like, no, no, I'm not saying that your mom played the victim. I'm saying mm-hmm. that in, in these circumstances, this was the, these were the roles that life cast you in. Yes. Your mom had a terminal illness. Therefore, she was cast in the role of the victim, regardless of how she lived it. That, you know, that was her role. And you, un- subconsciously, it's not like you really believed that you could save her by being perfect, but subconsciously, you wanted to do everything in your power to make her as happy as possible to cause as few waves as possible in your family because she was already in so much pain that you ne- you didn't want to do anything to cause any more pain to either of your parents. And, you know, subconsciously, you just were thinking like, maybe, maybe I can make this better if I work hard enough, if I get rid of my flaws, if I make mom happy, like things can be better, you know, and this was all deeply subconscious. And initially I'm like, this woman does not know what she's talking about. I don't think I like her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't. And then I went home and thought about it. And I'm like, I think I have a savior complex. <laughs> like yeah. I think it I think it fits. And so it really was hard to look at myself and see that. But I could see that it was true that I mm-hmm. had spent my whole life trying to appear to have it all together and to rush in and be the one who could help in any situation with my mom or even with others and to never be the one who needed helping 
because I, you know, wanted to be the hero, basically. And um, in the end, I was very grateful for her being so straightforward, but it wasn't it wasn't fun to hear at the time. But it started to help me heal and to see these patterns in myself and to recognize them in relationships that I had with other people and to see, okay, I need to change. I need to let go of some of this and um, it's going to free me and it's going to heal me from this perfectionism that I've spent my whole life grappling with and my eating issues and everything else. Mm -hmm. So it was was a big route for you. And you know, I'm thinking of even for people who might not have had um, a mom suffer with cancer like this, they could still have situations in their childhood that would uh, lead to them be in the same position as you, someone who's trying to live this perfect life. I think it's important for people to think about who might be struggling with this impossible thing to uphold of being a perfectionist is let's get to the root. Let's figure out what this might be. And oftentimes it is in your childhood. So mm-hmm. what else did you discover with therapy as things that were contributing to this this impossible thing that you were trying to achieve of being the savior or a perfectionist? I think that um, because I had such amazing parents, which I really did mm-hmm. and do, my father's still living, yes. um, I really admired and wanted to emulate them. And so that can contribute to the perfectionism as well. I think one of the, one of the number one things that people say about my mom is, you know, she was sick for so long and she never complained. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I sure hope she complained. Like I sure, (laughs) like I, I sure hope that she had at least a few trusted people that she could complain and cry to because she went through hell, you know, I'm like the thought of her not having anyone or any outlet to like that kills me. So I'm but I think that hearing that all growing up, I'm like, well, if mom never complained about any of her pain, then how can I possibly, you know, have any right to feel anything other than happy and grateful all the time? And so that can really um, affect, I think, you emotionally when you're not willing to accept those more negative emotions that are just part of life. So there's that piece of it. I also think that my dad, who I adore, um, he was, is a worker. Like he just, man, like he just gets stuff done and is, and never, never seems to really tire. And so that was my other role model was this man who was like Superman, who took care of my mom, took care of the three of us, worked like he was an attorney and just worked, worked, worked so many hours per week. And I'm just like, how does he do it all? And even though he always said to me, like, something has to go and it can't be your mental health and you need to go to bed, you need to get more sleep, all those things. Um, I He wasn't doing those things. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm like, I want to be like dad and be able to work that hard and never get tired. And so both of my amazing parents had these traits I wanted to emulate that maybe weren't totally natural to me. And so that kind of set me up for some struggles when I got older that makes sense. 
somewhere along the line. I think a lot of people experience this as a teenager, but sounds like you and I didn't figure this out until later on in adulthood, that our parents are not perfect. And and at first, right. that, that knowledge can be a little shattering. Um, or it can be something you might find yourself being resentful of or angry towards or sad about. But I think in time, having that knowledge is a huge gift because it helps us see them for who they truly are with compassion and grace. And I think in terms of yes. in turn, it helps us see ourselves that way because I am sure my children are going to need therapy because of me, <laughs> you know, and at first I was like, I hope my, I don't ruin my kids. The truth is, is we're all imperfect and all of our kids are probably going to need therapy at some point. Acknowledging yes. that the humanness of everyone around us is a big gift, including of ourselves, most importantly. Well, and I also think that's kind of a joke when people say, like, my kids are going to need therapy because of me. But as if, you know, therapy is a really bad thing. But mm-hmm. I've learned that therapy is a really good thing and a really healing thing. And it's been a huge blessing to me. And I'm like, yes. I encourage everybody to go to do a little therapy in their life, you know, so to Definitely. work through some of this stuff. Well, so while we've been talking, I feel like a lot of what you said applies to someone in my life. I was actually raised by um, a man who had a very significant trauma at a young age. My my dad witnessed his brother's death at seven years old and he became the oldest of his family and so much of hearing how you described how you coped with that I think applies to him and and in so many ways I mean just the most amazing man in the in the whole world Mm -hmm. um try not to get choked up about that but what we experience in our childhood it, it matters that's I mean one of the biggest takeaways of this conversation it does matter for better for worse, and, and my my father had wonderful parents, wonderful parents, yeah. a wonderful family, and but that absolutely changed his entire life, and it changed right. all of us, his seven children, um, too, and our children. It really it does. So for people who, regardless of the extent of what they would define as traumatic or um, influential in their childhoods, I would like to provide them with tools that you can give us. And this is something you do in your podcast. You have um, your guests talk about three, like you say, doable takeaways, or what's the phrase you use there? Yeah, I always say doable takeaways, like basically something actionable that people can do. That was the other word. So actionable things that people can do to heal from their childhood, um, regardless of like, like, oh, but it wasn't that serious. It doesn't matter. What can they do? Right. So how about you tell us about what um, what's are some of your takeaways that you would advise others to do? So these, um, I thought about this before we started and jotted some down, and these are tools that I learned in counseling. So professional counselors had me do these things, uh-huh. but I think that they're things that anybody can do. Um, so the first one is to write letters. Write letters to the people in your life that you need to, to to say or to let go of those things that are burdening you or that are on your heart and and to never send them. But mm-hmm. unless you unless you need to send the letters, but to get those feelings out helps immensely. So, for example, my one of my counselors had me write a letter to my mom expressing anger. Huh. And Very specific. 
this is yeah, a like proof ink. Or well, I had said, like I had alluded to um, a few times, like, well, you know, I really wish that she would have left me more, you know, anything to help me in my adulthood uh, with being a parent. But she never journaled and she never she didn't leave a thing. And I feel like I'm really like floundering. But she was dealing with a chronic terminal illness. And so I know she couldn't deal with that, which is true. But I would always sort of justify away my my feeling of being really isolated in my motherhood experience without her here. Yeah. And my counselor was like, no, we need to explore that. Like, I need you. I want you to write her a letter and express to her anger or disappointment or however you want to you know, word it about the fact that she didn't leave anything behind, like a journal or even a letter um, giving you advice about adulthood and motherhood. And so I have to say that it it felt almost blasphemous to write uh-huh. that letter, honestly, because she is like so celebrated in our family, deservedly so. I've never openly expressed any sort of negative emotion about how she didn't mother me perfectly um and so but I wrote the letter and it was excruciating to write I actually had to like take a nap after I wrote it like it was Mm. so emotionally draining um but so healing at the same time and it's something that I've never shown anybody it's in my journal but um I'm very open and I usually share most things, but that's one that was just for me. And But I was able to get those thoughts and feelings out and express some of that. So writing a letter to someone um, who you've lost or who's let you down or who didn't meet your needs well can be really healing, I think. So that's the first tool or takeaway. That's a great one. And I like the idea, if you know that maybe no one else will see this, actually takes away a lot of the pressure too to make it the perfect letter either you know right. whether that's grammatically or otherwise um just get it out <laughs> that yes. seems so powerful and hard too and yeah and to actually address them is different than like writing in a journal and person about like this huh. experience was hard because it's much more personal to say direct it to them and say you did you did this or you reacted this way and i felt this um, but it's it was really healing for me. So That's try it out. Write, write a letter. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. This summer on the show, I'm airing episodes that highlight my three pillars of being a self-assured mother, which are know yourself, honor your needs, and love your people. I have years of therapy and thought work to thank for being equipped with the tools to become self-assured in my own motherhood. I have been doing therapy for over 10 years, and the majority of my appointments have been online. This was so helpful when my kids were young and we worked around nap schedules, and it's so helpful even now because I have a full work-from-home schedule, and I appreciate that I can just hop on my computer for therapy without having to drive to and from a counseling office. If you want to work on becoming more self-assured, I know therapy will help, and I recommend that you give BetterHelp Online Therapy a try. Just fill out their quick online intake questionnaire and you'll be matched with a therapist in about 48 hours. 
If you find that you aren't vibing with the first therapist that they set you up with, you can change any time with no additional fees or questions asked. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash 3 and 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 and 30. This podcast is sponsored by KiwiCo, a monthly subscription box of seriously fun and enriching art and learning projects for kids of all ages. KiwiCo believes that every kid is naturally creative and curious, and that hands-on experiences build creative confidence and problem-solving skills that can change the world. Don't you just love that? It reminds me of the art projects my mom helped set up for my sisters and me when we were kids that helped build my confidence, and it was so fun to see my mom's excitement about what I created, too. KiwiCo projects are designed by a team of educators, makers, engineers, and rocket scientists who brainstorm hundreds of ideas to create the most exciting, age-appropriate, and educational projects for kids. Their crate lines are perfect to keep on hand for summer when you have a long, boring day with nothing to do. Just pull out one of the boxes and do it with your child, or if they're old enough, let them do it by themselves, and you get an hour of downtime. The electric pencil sharpener project from the Eureka Crate was perfect for my son Noah's engineering brain. Redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash 3 and 30. That's 50% off your first month at k-i-w-i-c-o dot com slash 3 and 30. Okay, what's number two? The second one is to think back to your childhood and think about those things that you loved as a child that really like nurtured you um, and to and to do them again. So we kind of we kind of lose those things uh-huh. as we grow up, and stop doing a lot of them because maybe they're not practical or I don't know why we just do. Well, but mine's um, like one of climbing my climbing trees. So that's kind of hard. I don't know if I even could. Well, don't do that right now because you're very <laughs> I pregnant. I can't right now. But go ahead. You but, have an example. Like you should. Like when you're <laughs> when you are fit again, you should climb a tree. I'm totally serious because my I counselor will. told me to do. And she's like, what were you like as a child? Oh, I was this sensitive child. I loved animals. And she was like, do you have an animal now? And I'm like, no, that would be inconvenient convenient and I'd have to clean up after the animal and like practical Rachel kicks in you know uh-huh. and she's like well maybe you need to spend more time with animals <laughs> it just sounds so like kind of hoo-hoo like warm and fuzzy you know you kind uh-huh. of have to get over the counseling but another thing I loved was swings um when I was uh-huh. a child when your kids are at the playground like hop on the swings and swing um just like anything that you loved like I love to write and I still write uh, but just to kind of tap back into the, that part of you that maybe you squashed down or you let go of that you can kind of bring back to kind of find that whole part of you that before things started to hurt so much. Beautiful. And what's number and three? And then the, the third one is probably the most warm and fuzzy of all. Um, okay, but I, I had a counselor who actually... the. This is not, by the way, the straight shooter counselor, because she would probably laugh at this. But um, (laughs) I had a counselor who encouraged me to envision myself as a child. And she would actually make me close my eyes and think about what I was like as a child. And I would try so hard not to laugh during the whole thing Uh to kind of remember 
what it was like to be a child, what it was like to feel that fear or worry or whatever it was that you felt to kind of go there, you know, and picture yourself as this innocent child that you were with the glasses or the whatever, you know, yes, the gap. Um, <laughs> yeah. And just to keep that picture in your mind to give you so it gives you some grace when you start to you know, fall back into certain behaviors or certain fears start to come up for you. And you're tempted as a rational adult to be like, get it together. Why are you acting this way? It's just imagine that child and think, okay, she's just hurting and needs to be comforted right now. Like you said, it gives you, it makes you um, act more kindly to yourself. It gives yourself compassion. It also gives you um, practical ways to help comfort and work your way through it just as you would help your own child or a loved child in your life. Yes, your own child being that scared and how you would comfort them, you know, and it's Definitely. like treat yourself with similar grace. I really want to thank you for listening to that conversation where I reveal so much of my heart. I'm so grateful to Monica for letting me re-air it here. She and I met through our podcast over five years ago, and she has truly become one of my best friends and an absolutely integral part of my self-assured motherhood journey because she's someone that I talk to about the ups and downs of life, and her listening ear and beautiful insights have made me better and stronger. I'm so grateful to her, and you can find her podcast at About Progress, and I will include a link in the show notes. To recap our three takeaways, here are three tools I've learned for how to let go of hard stuff from your past. First, write letters that you never have to send to process experiences or feelings that feel heavy for you. Second, think back to the activities and passions you loved as a child and do them again. And third, envision yourself as a child, maybe even find a photo of yourself as a child, and remember that that little girl is still a part of you. As you work on developing a more compassionate inner voice, give yourself the grace, comfort, and protection that you would give to a child in your life. I hope this episode prompts some deep thinking and deep healing in your own life. Studying your story is difficult, but it's so essential in coming to know yourself. If you're interested in learning more about my nine-month Self-Assured Motherhood program or getting on the wait list to be notified when the program opens its doors again in the fall, simply text the word SAM to 33777 and we will send you more info. That's SAM to 33777. Friends, I hope you know that I truly love and care about you. Thank you for listening, for being on this journey with me. And I hope you have a beautiful week with your family. Hey, I'm Lizzie Mathis, the host of the Cool Mom Code podcast, where motherhood is your key card to the coolest spot in town. I'm excited to give you a behind the scenes, real talk combo between some of the most influential and tastemaker mamas I know. Subscribe and stay tuned for new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't ever miss a beat. See you there.